10, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. God is good. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Amen. Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, they go together. This is God's statement upon the nation of Israel. Some teach this, that it's like God has just interjected this. And that it doesn't have anything to do with what's been said before. And it really doesn't fit with what comes after it. I disagree with that. I mean, it fits right in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 9, just by way of review. We talked about the Lord there shows us that He is not through with Israel. That He has an election. It is the election of grace. True Israel are those who have been born again. They are not just natural Israel, but they are spiritual Israel within natural Israel. We talked about that God elected them. Okay, you with me here at this point? We showed how that God continually extended His grace and His mercy to them. The problem with Israel's present condition, or really even chapter 9, their past condition, is not because God predestined them to fail. Do you understand? He did not predestine them to fail so that the Gentiles would be saved. That's not what this passage is teaching. There is Bible predestination, but it's not a predestination for failure. And it's not a predestination for being lost. Predestination is linked to the church, the election, the elect of God. You with me here? The predestined purpose of God. And everybody who chooses what he chooses or obeys his will or responds to his mercy will make it into the kingdom. The problem that he's shown us here is with Israel. It is not with God. God didn't predestinate them to fail. He knew they were going to fail. Do you understand? He knew they were going to fail, but His sovereignty and His power overcame that failure. Romans chapter 9 is God's power over their past failure. Romans chapter 10 is God's sovereignty or His power over their present failure. Romans chapter 11 is God's sovereign power over their future. You understand? So last week we talked about Israel's condition. Specifically, it has to do with the past, but it is linked with the present. Now, let me just bring it to you like this. God is not through with Israel. He's got a great plan for the nation of Israel. It is His elect nation. But just because you're a physical descendant of Abraham doesn't mean that you are the elect. You have to have the faith of Abraham. You have to be born again. You have to be in the covenant of God. You have to be in Jesus to be the elect. Now, if they are currently set aside temporarily, it is not because God predestined it that way. 
The reason why they are temporarily as a nation set aside is because of their unbelief. Because they refuse to respond. So when God elects, he doesn't, please listen to me very carefully. I'm trying to give you some very important things. When God elects somebody, it is not that he predestined this election in the sense that, okay, God says, I'm going to elect you, and because I elect you, then you can come. Do you understand? If that were the case, then, and that's the way some people see it, that God has elect only certain people. Okay, I elect, because the Lord elects you, you can come. Because the Lord elects you, you can come. Okay, because of his election, you can come. You understand? It is, you are elected because you come. You see, it's not God saying, okay, you're elected and you're the non-elect. Or you're the elect and you're the non-elect. So no matter what you do, you can't come. No matter how much you want to be saved, you can't, be, you can't come. Because I have predestined you before time that you would be lost. I have predestined you before time that you will be the non-elect. So no matter what you want to do, you can never be saved. Because you are the non-elect. You are uh, predestined to be lost. All right, But then he looks at this other brother. He said, okay, I just sovereignly elect you. I sovereignly choose you. It doesn't matter what you do in life. If you never respond to my mercy, my grace, my message, you never get born again. You don't live holy. You're still mine. So it doesn't matter what you do. You are chosen. You're elect. You understand? That's not what we're talking about here. God did not look at Israel and say, okay, Israel, I'm going to predetermine, predestine that you fail. So that the Gentiles can be saved. That's not what this is teaching. He's showing you that he has extended his mercy and his grace continually to people who have not responded to him. Do you understand? But those who have responded to him, he foreknew that they would. Therefore, they are the elect. He foreknew that they would choose. He foreknew that Israel would fail. He foreknew that, Israel, that the Gentiles would believe. He foreknew all of that. Do you understand what I'm trying to get at here? I'm thankful for that. And that's what he was talking about in chapter 9. The problem is not with God. They are his elect. But the problem is with Israel because they've lacked, they haven't responded to God's mercy. Okay, do you understand that? So he's not through with them. The fact that they failed in the past, he knew they were going to fail in the past. In fact, it was prophesied that they were going to fail in the past. He didn't make it that way. That's just the way it was. By his foreknowledge, he knew that. But he also, by his foreknowledge, knew and elected certain people who would respond to him by faith. Does that make sense? So if you're the non-elect, Brother, if you're the non-elect nationally, or if you're the non-elect individually, you can suspend that non-election by repenting and, and being born again and getting in the elect. Because when you come, then now he can elect you. When you respond to him, he now can choose you. He can elect you. He foreknew what you were going to do. But the fact that you did it, Allowed him to elect you. Come on, 
So Israel, even though, go ahead and sit down. Even though Israel has, has failed in the past and in the present, God has a future for them because they can suspend their non-election and become elect by obeying the gospel. So the good news is that God isn't through with Israel. That their blindness is only partial. It's not everybody in the nation. And it's only temporary. And we're talking about the nation of Israel here. We're not talking about the church. Which some people teach. That has replaced Israel. God is showing us. He's speaking to us about the nation of Israel specifically. And it's very important for you to understand that. It's very important for me to understand that as a pastor and as a church. Because if you do not believe that God is going to save Israel, you don't believe that they have any promises. You with me here? And you think the church has replaced them? Then you've lost the blessing of God off of your life. Because if you curse them, he will curse you. If you bless them, he will bless you. So it's very important that you understand that God is not through with the nation of Israel. The problem was that they didn't respond to the gospel. They didn't respond to their Messiah. They didn't believe in him when they came. So that's why they're in the present condition that they're in as a nation. Today they primarily are a secular nation. The leaders in their government are primarily atheistic. Do you hear what I'm saying? As a nation. But there's coming a time that the nation of Israel is going to be saved. And I'm talking about the elect, the spiritual Israel within the nation of Israel is going to come into the kingdom of God. And they're going to believe in the Messiah. Do you understand that? And all the promises that God has made to Israel about their land, about their king. Do you understand? The covenant of Abraham. All those promises are going to be fulfilled. Because God made them to Israel. But he has temporarily set them aside because of their unbelief. Do you understand this? So you as the church today, unless you're a Jewish person physiologically, ethnically, you are not Israel. You have not replaced Israel. God has a purpose for Israel. And there's going to be a spiritual Israel within Israel. Do you understand? Okay. So the present condition of Israel then is one of unbelief. Their, their own Messiah. Their own Savior came to them. How could these elect chosen people of God miss their own Messiah? It wasn't God's fault, and God didn't predestine that to happen. The reason why they are currently in the situation they're in, lost, lost as a nation, did you hear what I said? Lost as a nation, is because of their rejection of that Messiah. How could they possibly have missed Him? It was not because of their ignorance. It was because of their, it was a moral problem. It wasn't because they didn't have the knowledge. It was, it was a moral problem. It was unbelief. 
That is the problem. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you today? It would be like the church, the professing church world as a whole. The professing church world as a whole is not saved. But within the church, the professing church, there is a, the true church that is born again. That is walking with Jesus in sanctification of the spirit. They are living a holy, separated, dedicated life. They are his elect. They are the remnant. God is showing you in these passages that he's going to have a remnant that is going to come out of natural Israel and they are spiritual Israel and they will be saved because they will come, they will be born again, okay? And they will come in the covenant, the new covenant. They'll believe in the Messiah, okay? Do you understand what we're trying to show you here? So again, it's not an intellectual problem that they had. Or even really that they have now. The problem is a moral problem. They just don't believe. Or let me put it this way. They refuse to believe. <laughs> they refuse to believe. Now, chapter 10. Mm. I did that for you. I hope that helped you a little bit. Understand election and predestination. Just a little bit. Romans 8. We talked about predestination. Romans 9 last week. A little bit about predestination. And a lot about election. And I hope you understand that, okay? God is not through with Israel. Their present condition, chapter 10. God's power, His sovereign power over their present failure. All right, all right, amen. Even though they have failed, it's not over. But in chapter 10, Paul is going to explain the reason for their failure. All right, all right. You with me? Again. They're not predestined by God to fail so the Gentiles can be saved. You'd be surprised how many people teach that. That, that when it says God blinded them, it's like they didn't have a choice. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm trying to get across to you? Are you familiar with what is taught out there sometimes by different theologians and preachers and teachers? Do you listen very much? Do you read very much? If you do, you're going to come across this. They're going to tell you that God blinded Israel. Well, it, it says God blinded Israel. But it's not like they interpret it. They interpret it that, that God predestined them. You're going to be blind. Regardless of, of your faith. Even if you believe in the Messiah, you're still going to be blind. Even if you want to believe, you can't. Even if you want to be saved, you can't. Because God has predestined this. So the Gentiles can be saved. That is foolishness. The reason they're in the condition there is, they're in is because they didn't choose what he chose. Not because he said they couldn't choose it. Okay. So Paul is going to explain this in chapter 10. The present failure of Israel and how the Gentiles, you know, how God could work with the Gentiles. Because that really blows the Jews' mind. A bunch of heathen. A bunch of, you know, Gentiles, heathens, nations uh, are going to be saved. And yet, Israel, God's beloved, God's elect nation is set aside and rejected by God. How did that happen? Why did it happen? Chapter 10. 
Brethren, my heart's desire, again, Paul, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So he is praying for the nation of Israel, his brethren according to the flesh. His desire, his prayer, in fact, chapter 9, verse 1, go back. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience, also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Why is he so burdened? Why is he crying here? Why is he so broken here? Because chapter 10 tells us Israel's lost. The nation, God's chosen elect nation is lost. And so Paul is saying that he has a desire and he's, got, he's praying to God. And it's not just a, you know, a, a prayer that he doesn't believe can happen. You know, he's not just up there praying just to pray. I'm just going to pray for Israel's salvation. He prays this because he believes that God can hear his prayer. And he believes that Israel as a nation can be saved. And they will. A remnant within that nation will be saved. So God is going to hear the prayers of this man who was willing to go to hell for his nation. They will be saved. The remnant. Now, he says, so what is the, the situation then? As a nation, they're what? Lost. That's the way Paul said it. He said they're lost. So he, uh, he's got a desire and he's got a prayer. Even though he's an apostle to the Gentiles. He still has a heart for the nation of Israel of whom he is a part, not just ethnically, but he is spiritual Israel too. He's praying for natural Israel to become like he is. The spiritual Israel, the spiritual seed of God. But at the present time, when Paul is writing this, chapter 10, at the present time, they are lost as a nation. Do you understand? So he's praying for their salvation. Now, some people to tell you today, well, just because you're an Israelite physically, you're automatically saved. Paul is telling you that's not true. Now, verse 2, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, or literally a zeal for God. Which is interesting to me that you can have a zeal for God and still be lost. How could you have a zeal for God and yet still need to be prayed for that you're saved? Because you can have a zeal for God. You can have a zeal for God and still be lost. Because just because you have knowledge, again, the problem is not always intellectual. Do you understand? It's not because they don't know. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, not according to complete knowledge. They've got a zeal for God, not according to complete knowledge. Again, if I, 
I'm not going to do this because I want to focus on Israel. But I could preach this passage and apply it to the church today. The church has, has a knowledge of God. They got a zeal for God. But it doesn't mean they're saved. Okay. Again, they're zealous for God. Zealous of God, for God, but not according to knowledge. See, you can be all zealous for God, but not have knowledge. Proper knowledge, complete knowledge. Do you understand? Lord, help me today to teach this. What, is, what are they needing then? They need complete knowledge. They've got zeal, but they need complete knowledge. They got a part of the truth, but they don't have all the truth. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, what are they lacking knowledge or complete knowledge in? How to be right with God. They don't know how to be right with God. They don't know how to be righteous with the Lord in a right relationship with God as a nation. They think it's through legalism. You listen to a, a, a Jewish rabbi teach, okay? Unless they're Messianic Jews today. You listen to a Jewish rabbi teach, you know what he's going to teach? He's going to talk about good works. That is his whole focus, and that's what he believes is going to save him. Is by his good works towards God and towards men. Obeying the law, the instruction of God, the law, the Torah. Okay? They, they, they teach that. I've listened to them. All right, all right, amen. amen. Do you understand? Amen. And they reject the Messiah as the means of salvation. They look to their legalism. Their own goodness. And the Jewish people, unless they're Messianic Jews, believe that their good works and their bad works are all being recorded. And hopefully at the end of life, the good works will outweigh the bad works. And if the good works outweigh the bad works, then they're going to go into the kingdom. So that is what their focus is. That was what their focus was. That's what it is today. That's what it was in the days of Jesus. It was legalism. So here comes Jesus, the Savior of the world, their Messiah, and they reject that way to be saved depending on their own ability and their own self-righteousness to be right with God instead of repenting of their sin and embracing Jesus as the one who died for them, they think that they can be good enough to be saved. That was a stumbling block to them. Okay, watch this. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves. That's a military term. It means they didn't come up underneath it. You understand? Right, right. They didn't submit to, to God's provision for salvation. Right. Basically said, we reject this. We reject God's way of providing salvation. Uh -huh. 
through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We reject that and we will stay with our own good works to be right with God. You with me here? Okay. So they did not come underneath the righteousness of God or submit themselves to that. And the Bible says, watch. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. See, they got it all mixed up. They took the law of God and used it in an in a unlawful way. They took the Old Testament, they read the commandments, and they said, okay, if I keep this commandment and I, I don't do this, what God has forbidden, then I'm going to be saved. Do you understand? That's, that's the way they, they said, we can keep the law. We can do it. All right, all right, all right. The purpose of the law was not to get the rules and try to keep them so you could be saved. The purpose of the law was to show you your need for a Savior. The purpose of the law was, was God's commands and rules laid out before you. And you're always coming short of that. And recognizing you need a Savior. And just getting in a place of total despair. Not able to be victorious over that sin nature that you have. And so, and then the law points out it's all your, all your sin. And so now I need a Savior. It's supposed to drive you to Jesus. But their pride, their pride, their self-righteousness said, we can do it. We don't need a Savior. We don't need to be born again. We'll just get our rules and we'll keep the rules and we'll go to heaven. That's not the reason why the law was given. The law was given to point out sin, drive you to despair. It was to lead you to Christ. It was to lead you to Jesus. The law was supposed to take you by the hand and put you in the hand of the Lord Jesus. You understand? That was its purpose. That's still its purpose. is to convict you and I of sin. Bring us to a place of repentance, confession of that sin, and, and run to Jesus. You understand? So that I can be in a right relation with him, relationship with Him. Now, the Bible says, for Christ is the end of the law. He is the goal of the law. He's the one the law pointed people to. He's the goal of the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the completion of the law. Okay? The purpose of the law is Jesus. The purpose of the law. He is the goal. He is the completion. He is the fulfillment of the law. You understand? Good. Notice. Not only is he the, the word in there means the fulfillment or the completion of the law or the goal of the law. It also means the, the, uh, the literal termination of the law. Not in the sense that the law is not with us today, that we don't need to obey the word of the Lord today. But it's, again, if its purpose is to lead us to Jesus and we go to Jesus... 
then the law has been fulfilled. Right? Its purpose, again, is not so you can get your rule book out and try to be right with God. Once you get right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, then now you obey the law of God. But the law of God's purpose was never salvation. It was never given to bring you eternal life. It could not provide for you or I eternal life. Only Jesus and the new birth can give me eternal life. The word of God by itself is not powerful enough to give you eternal life. You have to obey that word and be born again. So that Christ is, again, the focus is Jesus. Where did they miss it? They tried to establish their own righteousness. And refused to submit themselves to the righteousness of God. And then it tells you, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. For what? For righteousness. It doesn't tell you that we no longer have the law today and that we're not to preach the Old Testament anymore. That's not what that's telling you. It's telling you he's the end of the law for what? Righteousness. For right standing before God. The law still serves its purpose in convicting us of sin and revealing to us the will of God that we should obey even today. I'm still under the law today. As far as obeying what God requires. Do you understand? But as far as righteousness. He's the end of the law for righteousness. For a right relationship. Now let's just look at it this way. If it were possible. And this is an impossibility. But let's just say if. You could accomplish uh, being right with God by keeping every law of God. You've never broken any of God's laws. If it were possible, you know, then you would be saved. If you never had an evil thought, never said an evil word, never did an evil thing, and then on top of that, you did everything God required of you, 100% with no failure of thought, word, or deed. If, that were, if you did that, then you would be saved. The problem is, you can't go 30 minutes without having a bad thought. Come on. Let's get real. You're gonna have, you have bad thought. Last five minutes I've been preaching, you've had bad thoughts in your mind. So, you, you know, you just, it's impossible for you to be saved by trying to keep a list of rules. But once you get saved, because you are a born again believer and you are saved, now you've got power. You now have, listen, you now have power to live victorious over that sin nature that's in you. By how? By the Spirit of God. Not because you have just made up your mind, I'm going to be good. <laughs> no. Once you get born again, you get God and then you get good. You don't get 
good and then get God. They were trying to get good to get God. God says you get God and then you'll be good. You'll live right. Righteous people live righteously. So it it's all depends on your focus here. Christ is the goal, the fulfillment, the completion of the law for right standing with God. He's the only way you can be saved. Now that I'm born again, I'm a righteous man. I want to live holy. I want to obey His commandments. Do you understand? So that's the difference. They were trying to get good to get God. We've got God because we've got God. You know, you should live holy. Do you understand? Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, for Christ is the in law for righteousness. You've got to, you've got to hear that. For righteousness. Not that now because Jesus has come and we're born again, we throw the Old Testament away. How can you do that? Most of the New Testament is the Old Testament quoted. They just misunderstood and misinterpreted the purpose of the law. They had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They didn't understand that Christ was the goal, the fulfillment, the completion, the termination of the law in the area of righteousness or right standing with God. He's the only way. There is no other way. For any nation, any nation, go back to Romans 1. Watch what Paul says. Romans 1, verse 1, a servant, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Romans 1, verse 1, the gospel of God, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he has died for your sins, buried, risen from the dead. Do you understand? Which he promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning what? His son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He was a Jewish, as far as his humanity was concerned. He was Jewish. And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. By whom we have received grace. By whom? We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. Among what? All nations for His name. All nations, including Israel. All the Gentiles. Israel also. Okay? Verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you with me here? It's about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the message that brings people into the kingdom of God. This is the message that people are saved by. The finished work of Jesus. Not trying to be good enough or get good enough to, to be saved. If that were the case, then Jesus would not have had to die for us. But God did not choose that way for man to be saved. Because man can't be saved without the shedding of blood. 
So where did they miss it then? They missed it in the area of righteousness. How to be right with God. They're trying to do it on their own. They're trying to accomplish it through legalism. Works. You understand? And their works, their goal of their works is to be saved. To be right with God. To get eternal life through their works. They don't understand that they could not get eternal life that way. You understand? Watch. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For what? To everyone that believeth. So it's not trying to be good enough. It's by believing. It's by faith. Now who's he talking to? Here in this passage is Israel. All right? For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law. That the man who doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness, right relationship with God, which is of faith, speaketh on this wise, say not in thy heart. Watch this. Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. All right? Righteousness is based on faith. Now, what is our faith in? Who is our faith in? Is it in our good works or is it in the work of Jesus? Watch what Paul says. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. This is what righteousness which is of faith says. Say not in thy heart who shall ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. So what Paul has to do with the nation of Israel. He has to show them that the Messiah has come. Do you understand? Okay, watch. Who shall descend? Okay, let me back up here. Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. What he's telling you is Christ, Messiah. Christ means the anointed one. It's the same as the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. Paul is telling these Jewish or these Israelites, he says... That Christ or the Messiah is the goal of the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the completion of the law for righteousness. He's the way that you get in right standing with the Lord. And he says, righteousness of faith says this. That the Messiah has already come. Say, not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. You don't have to go up into heaven and bring him down. He has already come. The incarnation, the virgin birth. God has already come in the form of a man. You don't have to go up, ascend up to find him, to bring him down. Because he's already come down. Jesus is the Messiah. Paul's trying to get them. Jesus is the Messiah. You don't have to bring him down. He's already come. You missed him. 
Because you're going around trying to keep Torah, to try to be good enough with God. And he, when your Messiah came, you missed him. And Paul's saying, look, he's already come. You don't have to ascend up to bring him down. I'll tell you the same thing. You don't have to go up into heaven and bring him down because he has already come. He is here right now. In fact, I'm seated together with him in heavenly places. So I'm, my location is already with him right now. I don't have to go up there and try to find him, go up there and try to bring him down into my life. Because he's already here and I'm already seated together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus. So Paul's trying to tell Israel, he's already come. The incarnation has already taken place. He's already come in flesh. You missed him. It was Jesus. He is the word of God. You understand? Oh yeah. Now, now listen to me. You're going to have to put your thinking caps on. I'm not just up here going to preach you an emotional service about the dog that died yesterday. You're going to have to think about what I'm telling you here today. This is a teaching message. He's trying to get, he's trying to bring Israel to what? To faith in the Messiah who has already come. They're still looking for him to come. Paul says he's already come. Today Israel is lost because they're still looking for him to come. Paul says he's already come. Israel as a nation today does not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They think that he's still going to come in the future. He is, but he's already come once and died for them. Paul's trying to get them to understand this. Okay, you with me here? Yeah, now, I'm just, I wish I could preach practically, and I will. Let me just share this with you. You know, we come to church, we think, okay, God, come down here. Come down, please come down, God. You know, he's already here. <laughs> he is already here. And I'm already seated together with him in heavenly places. I don't have to go up and bring him down. See, in, a, in, in one sense, we're like Israel. <laughs> we think we got to go find him somewhere. He has already come, Paul says. His incarnation, God, has come in the flesh. Messiah has already come. You understand? Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend in the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. What Paul is saying is, he's already come He's already died. He's already been buried. And he's already risen from the dead. You don't have to go bring him up from the deep, from the abyss. Because he's already resurrected. So Paul is preaching to them what they need to know. Jesus is the Messiah. The one that was crucified is the Messiah. He's already come and he's already resurrected from the dead. You missed it. Now, are you with me here still? Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord if you sort of understand. Now, if you go back to Deuteronomy 30, Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 30. I don't have time to look at it this morning. Deuteronomy 30, all right? He's quoting an Old Testament scripture here. 
All right, now I'll try to explain it to you a little bit. So Jesus has already come. He's already risen from the dead. But what saith it? What saith what? Faith. What does faith say? The word is nigh thee. The word is nigh thee. The rhema is nigh thee. You with me here? Now I'll explain to you what that is if, if I can. The rhema is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now a rhema, a rhema word, again the problem is, Israel is not complete in their knowledge about Jesus. He's already come. He's already risen from the dead. They must put their faith in that work of Jesus in order to be saved. All right? He's telling them you don't have to go up to the heavens to bring him down. You don't have to go down to the deep and bring him up. The word is nigh thee. He is the Logos. He, let me put this. He is the word of God. He is the rhema. The word here. Look at it again, please. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. What he's saying is this. You have to have faith in your heart. When you have faith in your heart, then you will believe. But you can't believe until you hear. So Paul is going to tell them what they need to hear. He's already come. He's risen from the dead. Now have faith in your hearts and believe that message. Do you understand? The word is nigh thee. The rhema. Now, this Bible here is the whole piano. This is the whole piano. For Spanish people, this is the whole enchilada. Alright, this is it. This is the Logos. Now, God, Jesus is the eternal Word. Jesus is the eternal Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.14. And the Word, Logos, became flesh. And dwelt among us. Paul said the word has already come. And dwelt among us. The Logos. The eternal word. Has come. He is Jesus. This is. When you talk about the Logos. You're talking about the eternal word of God. When you're talking about Jesus. He is the word. The living word. This Bible is also the Logos. It is this whole Bible, this whole piano, this whole enchilada, this whole thing is the Logos. Do you understand? What it says in this book will not change. Any prophecy that's in this Logos will not change. It cannot change because it is the same as God. Because God is eternal. This is His eternal word. It will not change. The Logos, the whole book. But the Word of God talks about the rhema. The rhema is not the general scripture, the whole book. The rhema is a word out of the Word. The rhema is when God takes His Logos, 
the whole book. He takes his Logos, the Bible, and he, by his spirit, takes the word out of the word, Rhema. When he takes the word out of the word, Rhema, and he speaks it to you for a specific time. That is Rhema. You with me here? It is not the whole piano. It is a note on the piano. Rhema is the sound. Rhema is the note. I don't know if this is on or not. Yeah. This is a rhema. The note. That's a rhema. Do you understand? All these keys up here, that's the logos. I'm going to represents the logos every key but if that piano player walks up there and he hits one note that's a rhema he's taking one note out of the whole board so what the lord is telling you he's got a rhema now a rhema is a word that the spirit of god takes out of the word of god here and applies it to individuals or to groups Do you understand? It is the note on the board. It is a prophecy for an individual or a word for a group of people. Do you understand the difference? Now, God's word, the Logos, will not change. It will come to pass. It will not fail. It is eternal. The problem is... Is that God is showing here Rhema. He's showing you the Spirit of God taking a portion of the Word of God for a group of people. A Rhema fails at times. Because God takes the Word out, He speaks it to somebody or a nation. The reason why that rhema, even though that rhema is God's word, the reason why that rhema fails is because the people that the rhema is given to do not respond to the rhema. They don't respond to the word that has been spoken. They don't act upon it. They don't wait upon it. They don't believe it. And because of that, The rhema is still God's word. If it fails, it's not the word that failed. It is the response of the group or the individual that the rhema was given to that is the reason for its failure. The reason why Israel is in the place it's in is because they're not responding to the word that God preached to them. The rhema that he gave to them. Do you understand? It's still God's word. It's still true. It's going to come to pass. But in relationship to this nation, the failure is on their part. That's why they're in unbelief. That's why they are set apart. That's why they are rejected. Because when God spoke his rhema to them, They didn't respond to it in their heart. Believe what they heard with their hearts. Do you understand? Uh 
and confess it with their mouth. You understand? Now watch. Let me, show, let me give you an example. How many of you believe that God is a healer? You come up here and you get prayed for to be healed. God's word says that he is my healer. God's word also says he's savior. He is the savior of the world. Okay, does his word say that? But I can't, I know that this Logos says that. All right? Well, what if I walk out there and there's somebody in the world that's, that's, that hasn't responded to the gospel, hasn't acted upon the word, hasn't received the word, you understand? Yes. Don't believe the word, haven't repented of their sins and haven't been born again. But the word of God says, Jesus is the savior of the world. Is that what this word says? He is. But does that mean everybody in the world is saved? No. But does it change the fact that he died for the world? Does it change the fact that he's the savior of the world? No. What's the problem? They haven't responded to that message. Is he my healer? Yes, he's my healer. The Bible says that. His general word says that. Then how come sometimes I'm not healed? Some of the time, some of the reasons because I haven't responded to this book by faith. But not only that, okay, I'm trying to show you something here. If I walk up to that unbeliever that's out in the world and say, Thus saith the word of the Lord, Jesus died for your sins. I declare to you that your sins are washed away. You're born again on your way to heaven. Did that make him saved? I thought the Bible said he died for the world. I thought the, world, the Bible says Jesus is the Savior of the world. So don't I have authority on, based on this Logos to go out and declare everybody out there you're saved? Doesn't matter how you acted. Doesn't matter how you live. Doesn't matter the choices you're making in life. You are saved because God's Word said it. Do you understand what I'm trying to get at here? That's the Logos. He's the Savior of the world. He died for the world. He's the healer of our bodies. Mm -mm. They have to respond to this word. They have to appropriate it by faith. They have to believe in its message by hope, by, in their hearts. They have to respond to it. Now watch this. So here's where we get in trouble. All right? We stand up here and we say, all right, the Lord is our healer. That's what the Logos says. But if he doesn't take, Lord, help me. See, I'm getting distracted here. I didn't want to do this, but I'm trying to do it. I'm going to illustrate Romans 10. I'm not getting away from Romans 10. I'm trying to illustrate it. Okay? A scripture comes to my mind out of the Logos. Live and not die. Now, I can walk up to somebody that's on their deathbed and I say, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, live and not die. And I can walk in the front of the church and say, God told me that they're going to live and not die. And they die. Well, in the Logos, it says in one verse, it says, live and not die in Ezekiel 16. Right. But they died. But the 
Logos said, live and not die. And I believed that they were going to live and not die. And they died. So I become a false prophet because I'm not really a false prophet, an immature prophet. Not a false prophet thing. I don't have time to explain that to you. But it's an immature prophet or an immature person in the church. Because they've got the word of God, the general word of God on healing. They walk up and say, you're healed in the name of Jesus and stand up. They're healed in the name of Jesus. Well, if it was just the Logos, they may die. If all you had was just the general word on the subject, they may die. It's not until you get a rhema out of the Logos that then you can say you're going to live and not die. And if it's a rhema from God and they respond to that rhema, they will live and not die. They will be healed. Because it is a specific word to a specific person or a specific group out of the word of God by the spirit of God that brings it into reality. Do you understand? So if I don't get a rhema from the Logos, even though the Logos, the Bible says it. If I don't get a rhema of application of that word, then I can miss God. I can miss the prophecy. So the rhema, that's the difference between a rhema and logos. This is his general word. Never changes. But the rhema is a specific word to a specific person or a specific group for a specific time. Do you understand? It's the note on the board for that group. All right? It's not the whole piano. It's the note on the board. I prayed and I got a word from God, you know, that I was going to get that job. I got a word from God. No, you had faith in the general word of God. But did you get a rhema from God that said you're going to get that job? Or did your... Your, in, your enthusiasm for the word of God. And, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And your knowledge of this Logos. All right. All right. Is that what you were was coming in your spirit? And you claimed that and it was a Logos. It wasn't a rhema. God didn't tell you you were going to get that job. You just got a verse in the Bible that says you're going to get a job, you know. <laughs> and you said, I'm going to get that one. God told me I'm going to get that one. And you don't get that one. Well, look, it's right here in the Bible. Did you get a rhema on it? So with Israel, God didn't just give them a, the logos, the general word. He gave them a prophecy specifically directed to them as a nation. And because it's a rhema, come on. That rhema can fail where the Logos can never fail. The rhema can fail. Why? Because the nation doesn't respond to the rhema in faith. The rhema, God can speak to you. The word of the Lord come. Speak to you, brother. You're going to do this on such and such a day. And, and all of this, give all this information. You know, you've got a direct word from God on something. And it was God. It was the rhema. It was from the Lord. The, the word didn't fail. But if this brother doesn't, nur- you know what I'm saying, receive it into his womb. Come on, amen, amen. 
if that person doesn't receive that seed into their spirit and then nurture that thing until it matures and wait on it until it comes forth out of that womb then they will abort that prophecy they will abort that rhema because they didn't what? they didn't receive the seed they didn't nurture the seed they didn't wait on it to mature and they aborted the word of the Lord it was the word of God the word didn't fail the problem was with the person or the nation and Paul is trying to show you that God gave them a rhema but the reason why it failed is not because God didn't give that prophecy or that word for that nation. The reason it is failing at this point is because of their willful rejection of that rhema. They are gainsayers. They are contradicting the, the word that has been given. They are speaking against the word that is spoken. It is not about a man. Oh, I get this all the time. I'll, I'll get there. I'll just, just bear with me. I feel led, and I'm really, I'm telling you the truth. I feel led to, to give a person a certain direction to take in their life. And I believe it's the Spirit of God. It's not just the Logos. It's not just the Word that I, get, that I can read to them and say, let's believe this together. But I believe it's a Logos, that it's a rhema from God about their life. And then, so what if somebody else comes up there and starts counseling them differently? Well, if I have a problem with that, you know, if I believe I heard from God and you go and counsel them differently, what creates the problem for me is that you are not going against me, but you could be going against the word of the Lord. And people don't understand. I say, what are you doing? They have received direction from the Holy Ghost and you step in there and want to tell them something different. Do you not understand that it's not about flesh and flesh? That it's about God's rhema, God's word to a person? And if you try to step in there and change that, you're going to mess up their future. And people tell me, oh, Pastor, you know, I'm sorry I did that. I said, you know, boy, I, I didn't mean to offend you, you know. It's not about me. It's not flesh. It is you are intercepting a rhema from God for that person. You understand? Now, watch. Does this help anybody here? So it, God says to Israel, he said, you don't have to go up and get Jesus from heaven. You don't have to raise him from the dead. The word is nigh thee. The rhema is here. You got it? If you'll believe the word, if you'll believe the rhema, you can enter in to spiritual Israel. You can be born again. You can be saved. Messiah has come. Messiah has come. Messiah is risen from the dead, says Paul. You don't have to go up and get him from heaven. You don't have to raise him from the abyss. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. You understand? So I'm telling you, if Israel as a nation can miss God 
Not because the rhema failed, but because they rejected the rhema. So can the church. So we have got to be very careful that if, you know, when I stand up here and preach, I'm teaching you right now the logos. <laughs> I'm teaching you the general word. But I am always waiting for God to speak a rhema. Because I don't want just the Logos. I don't want to just preach the Logos to you. Yes, this is important. You need to understand the whole Bible. But I'm waiting for a rhema to come. I'm, I'm waiting for God to take this word off this page. And put it in my spirit. So I can declare it to you. A specific people. For a specific time. And if you'll act on it. If you'll wait on it. If you'll nurture it, then you will see something in your life that will come forth in birthing. But, oh God. So, you know, the Lord says it's not just a, a logos. It's not just the general word. Specific word to the nation. Watch. What time is it? I'm, are they going to get ready for food? Okay. I'm looking forward to it too, man. <laughs> Is this helping you here? Okay. How many of you believe that Jesus has already come? That He is the Messiah? How many believe that He's risen from the dead? Then why don't we walk that way? See, we're like Israel. Oh, God, come down. <laughs> so what do you mean, come down? Are you here? He's already come. He's already risen. We are seated together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. His word is nigh us. You understand? His word right now. His word is here. He, Jesus, is the eternal word of God. He, Jesus, the eternal word of God, speaks to us from his logos here. By rhema. He speaks to us by understanding general teaching of the general word. But he also speaks to us in a rhema word. He's here all the time. And if you'll come in this house and you'll believe, God's going to speak to me from his general word as it's preached but at the same time, I don't have to ask him to come down. He's already here. I have to go down and bring him up. He's already here. And if I would, come on, if I'll be sensitive to the Lord and believe in my heart, he will speak a rhema to me individually, specifically. That's powerful. So it's no longer just the general word of general, of general scripture. It is a word to a specific person or group. The question is, will you believe it? The question is, will you act on it? The question is, will you respond to it? Or will it fail? Will it be aborted in your life? See, people don't understand the difference. They think, well, that must have been a false prophecy because it didn't come to pass. No, no. God is saying this. It was not His plan for Israel to fail. All right, amen. It was not, come on, somebody. The problem is not with God, His Logos, or His Rhema to that nation. The problem was with their failure to believe it. 
See? They're still living in a faith that says tomorrow. Tomorrow. When God says today. He says he's already here. He's already been buried. He's already risen from the dead. He said right now, the rhema is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. He says this. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So he's telling Israel, you have to believe that Messiah has already come. You have to believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. You have to believe what we, the apostles, preach. If you will believe what we, the apostles, preach, then you can be saved. Watch. Watch this. This is powerful. See, he don't just jump off and tell them, get baptized in Jesus' name and get the Holy Ghost. Because they don't even believe that their Messiah has come. They don't believe that Jesus, the one who died and was buried, risen from the dead, is the Messiah. Paul has got to get the foundation right with them. He's got to bring them to the very basic, the very foundation of the matter. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You need to believe that he's already come. God in flesh. You need to believe that he's already risen from the dead. All right. All right. If they believe that, then they will go on and believe what the apostles preach. Telling them how to get in that kingdom. Okay, is this making any sense? Let me read to you again. Verse 8, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Come on. If you'll just believe what the apostles preaching about Jesus, the gospel, you can be saved. Messiah's already come. He's already risen from the dead. You get it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, see, in Deuteronomy, there's a Jewish interpretation of Deuteronomy 30. They says they went and tried to find Moses. They tried to find his spirit. They tried to find his soul when he died. Death angel tried to find his soul in the, in the underworld. Tried to find his soul in the heavens. and tried. To, they're looking for the law. But Jesus says this. He said, no, Paul is saying through Jesus, it's not going trying to find Moses. <laughs> it's not trying to find Moses that's going to save you. What you've got to understand is this. Jesus is risen from the dead. It's not by finding Moses. It's not by, by keeping the law of Moses. It's by understanding Jesus. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Are you with me here? Amen. Now watch. What is it? Now how does he apply this? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shall be saved. He just explains what he just told you. You don't have to go up and get him. You don't have to go down and bring him up. If you will confess, Israel, this is your need. 
if you will confess that Jesus is the Lord. Watch. What's going to happen? That and shalt believe in thine heart that God is raising from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Now watch this. Many churches today take this passage, this verse, and they lie on it. And they will tell you that all you have to do is accept the Lord as your Savior. And stand in, you know, and confess, Jesus is my Lord. Right? They, listen. The word confession... When you study the word confession, it does not mean just a verbal acceptance of Jesus. Matthew 7 says, many will stand before him in that day and say, Lord, Lord. And he will look at them who said, Lord, Lord, and will say to them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, because I never knew you. Matthew 7. When it says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, it doesn't mean you just stand up and say, Jesus is Lord. Matthew 7 says people are going to call him Lord, Lord, and still be lost. The word confession in the Greek literally means this. It means to confess and say, believe everything that the Bible says about Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? Confession is not just verbally accepting Him as Lord. Confession is believing everything the Bible says about Him. That's what confession is. Which is this what? If thou shalt confess Jesus. Let me read it. Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Let's just start right there. You've got to confess The Lord Jesus, Israel. You have to believe that he has come, God come in the flesh. You have to believe that he died, was buried, and he rose from the dead. You have to confess that he is Lord Jesus. You have to confess that he is Lord, Kyrios. You have to confess the Septuagint when it uses the word Lord. It is always used in reference to God. Israel, you're going to have to confess that Jesus is God. You're going to have to confess that Jesus is Lord. You're going to have to confess that He is Yahweh. If that's the way you pronounce it, you're going to have to confess that He is Jehovah. You're going to have to confess that He's God. You're going to have to confess that He is the Yod, the Hey, the Vav, the Hey. He is God. Israel, you have to believe that Jesus has come. God in the flesh. You must believe that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day. You must believe that he is Lord or that he is God. It's not just stand up and say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord. You have to believe that Jesus is God. His name, Jesus, is the name of his humiliation. You have to believe Jesus. In fact, Jesus... The transliteration into the English, transliterated from Hebrew, the English word Jesus, transliterated from the Hebrew word Jehoshua or Yahashua. 
means Yahweh has become my salvation. Israel, you have to declare that Yahweh is become your salvation. His name is Jesus and he is deity. He is God. Nothing less than God himself who has become your salvation. It is not, I'm telling you what most pre churches preach, that just say, Jesus is my Lord and you're on your way to heaven. You've got to believe everything the Bible says about Jesus. That is confession. His death, burial, resurrection, and His deity. That He is God. And He is the Messiah. The Christ. The anointed Messiah of God. Prophet, priest, and king. He is the prophet, priest, and king. The one who died, was buried, and rose again the third day. Come on, somebody. He is Jesus. Yahweh Savior. He is Lord. He is God. That's what confessing the Lord means. And not only that, but obeying what He said to do. Do you know that baptism is a part of confession? Paul knows that if he can preach to Israel... And they will believe this gospel. Then he knows that they will be baptized in Jesus name. He knows they will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. But if they don't even believe that he's God. They don't even believe he's the Messiah. If they don't believe he's the Savior. He's got to teach that to them first. He doesn't. If they don't believe he's the death. Barrel, one that was crucified dead and buried rose arisen you know so he's got to take first things first with Israel that's what he's doing you here with me today God is awesome isn't he that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus confession again how many churches have you heard or seen on either you've heard on radio or television or even been to churches they say all you got to do to be saved is to come up here and say Jesus I accept you as my Lord some of them say, don't even bring in repentance. But see, confession, really, even from a Hebraic point of view, this word confession means repentance. Okay? This is an Israelite writer. This is a Jewish preacher, apostle preaching. He understands what confession means. Confession is repentance and saying everything that the Bible says about Jesus is true. That's what the word confession means. And so a lot of churches say, come up up here and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And some of them don't even bring them to a place of repentance. And they look at him and say, you are saved. They have misquoted and misinterpreted that passage. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. He'll say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. So it's not just verbal profession or verbal acceptance. It is a confession, a repentance, a water baptism, a belief in his death, burial, and resurrection, his deity. That's, it takes all of that. If you don't believe, this is foundational. This is fundamental. Okay? That's, that's how you get in right standing with, with, with God. Now, We'll get into chapter 14 and we'll see. Okay? 
It's not the way you tie your shoes. You might tie your shoes different from the way I tie my shoes. You might comb your hair different from the way I comb my hair. But that does not determine your right relationship with God. It's not what kind of suits you wear, what kind of shoes you wear, how you comb your hair. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, you with me? We're talking about righteousness, right relationship, eternal life. Paul's trying to show them. Come on, if you will believe this word right now that's coming out of my mouth. Paul is saying, if you'll believe what I'm telling you right now, you will be saved. If you'll confess. Come on. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12, it tells us, no man can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Ghost. So if you don't have the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, you might verbally say He's Lord, but you can't really call Him Lord without being born of the Spirit. Come on, amen, amen. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Amen, amen. So it's more than verbal assent or verbal acceptance. Have you been born again of the water and the Spirit? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that He's the Messiah that he's the Lord, he's God. Jesus, Yahweh's salvation. You understand? Confess then. Confess that. Repent. Repent. Agree with God. Confess means to say the same thing. Agree with God about your sin. Agree with God. That Jesus is God. Agree with God that Jesus is the only way that you can be saved. And repent of that sins. And be baptized in His name for the remission of those sins. And be filled with the Holy Ghost. With the evidence of speaking with other tongues. If you'll believe what we, He said, the apostles preached, you'll be saved. Are you with me? How many of y'all uh, today have been in a church or you heard that before that you can't, you went, in fact, some of you may have went to the front and you said, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Anybody ever done that? And did they tell you when you did that, you're on your way to heaven? Really? <laughs> and you were never water baptized, you never repented, you never were water baptized in Jesus' name, you were never filled with the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues, and you're going to heaven? You don't believe that Jesus is God? And you're going to heaven? Come on. You've got a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You don't have completion. You don't have fulfillment. And how many churches are like that today? They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Man, they're on fire for God. Man, they're laid down their life. But they don't have a full revelation of the deity of Jesus. Of the finished work of the cross. Hallelujah somebody. Let's get honest with this passage. So when I confess the Lord. I say you're God. Jesus. You're the Savior. I confess that. I believe that in my heart. Okay. That's what it takes. Yes. What? 
Verse 9. Watch this. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He doesn't, come on. He doesn't tell you right there if you, if you just do that, that you are saved. He said you shall be saved. Because if you get this right, you'll go on and you will be saved. That's right. Watch this. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So if you believe unto righteousness, John 7 says this, John 7, 37 through 39. If you believe as the scripture has said, all right, all right. out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him, he said on me, should receive. So when you believe the Bible way, you will receive the Holy Ghost. If you believe as the scripture has said. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The word flow, rail, rhetoric, verbiage, verbiage. You will speak in tongues. It will rail out of you. It will, there will be rhetoric. There will be words that accompany that birthing of the spirit. If you believe it the Bible way, then you'll get it the Bible way. So believing is not just mental acceptance. And confessing is not just saying, okay, Jesus, you're Lord. And I, yeah, okay, I accept that you died for me. Because if you believe the Bible way, you'll get the Holy Ghost. And you will flow. You will rail. There will be rhetoric. There will be language that accompanies it. You understand? That's why he said, you shall be saved. Are you with me? For with the heart, men believe it. So it's got to start in here. Unto righteousness, unto righteousness starts here. Unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And let me just tell you right now that doesn't mean a one time new birth experience either. It doesn't mean a one time repentance and it doesn't mean a one time confession. It literally means a continual confession. It's a word of commitment, total commitment to Jesus. Not a one-time profession of faith and mental acceptance of Jesus. That is not what this passage is talking about. It is talking about a continual, ongoing, confessing, committed life in the Lord. Come on, somebody. So he says, for the scripture saith, the scripture saith, the word scripture there, we talked about logos, the general word. We talked about rhema, the word out of the word for a group, nation or people. And then we have scripture. The word scripture is graphe. That's the written word. The scripture. Are you with me? The scripture. Say the scripture. Saith. The written word. Whosoever believeth on him 
shall not be ashamed. You believe on him, you'll not be ashamed. You'll be saved. But the question again, what does this mean, believing? Mental acceptance? No. Everything Paul has already said. You understand? You've got to believe everything Paul has already said. His death, burial, resurrection. His deity. That he is the Messiah. That he is the Savior. You have to walk in all of that. You have to repent then. And you have to, of course, confession includes baptism. Confession of faith. Believing that, right? Somebody say amen. Amen. For the Grafe saith, or the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now he says, I got to call upon him. Okay. Does that mean I just send him and say, Jesus, save me. That's part of it. But watch. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then how then shall they call on him who they've not believed? you got to hear something that we, or he's saying we, I'm talking about from the word here. You've got to hear something from the we or the apostles. They've got to tell you how to appropriate everything the scripture says about Jesus to your life. Did that make sense? Okay. You call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. But how are you going to call on Him? In whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So you got to hear in order to believe. You've got to hear the rhema. You've got to hear... The Word of God. you got to hear the Scripture preached to you by a man of God. He'll tell you who you believe in and how you are to believe on Him. You can't know who you're believing in or how to believe on Him without the Word. Without hearing the Word. You can't guess at this. You can't just, well, I'm a part of a church, and so that makes me say. You've got to know how to believe on Him if you're going to be saved. You've got to know how to call upon Him. Remember we say, they say, Lord, Lord, and He says, I don't even know you. They're calling upon Him. They're lost because they're not calling on Him the way that they are supposed to call upon Him. That makes sense? So you need a preacher. You need somebody. You need the Word of God. A preacher to teach you, preach you about Jesus, and then tell you how to call how, how to believe on Him. How to believe on Him. How to believe on Him. In John chapter 2, the Bible says, and i got just a few minutes here. But in John chapter 2, the Bible says, Jesus, when He was working miracles... And this large group of people believed on him when they saw the miracles that he did. But the Bible says he did not commit himself to them. 
Because he knew all men. He knew what was in man. It says they believed on him. But he said he didn't commit himself to them. Alright? You with me here? Because it wasn't the kind of believing the Bible requires for salvation. They just accepted him. They just mentally agreed with him. They were fond of him. They agreed with him. But that didn't save them. You can come to church and you can be fond of Jesus. You can agree with everything I'm preaching and still go straight to hell. Because you have to know in who you believe. And then you have to know how to believe on him. And the way that happens is through a preacher. Thank God for preachers. If it wasn't for a preacher, I'd be lost on my way to hell right now. You with me? Thank God. Thank God for that man that showed me Jesus was God. Jesus was the Messiah. Dead, buried, rose again for my sin. There are some systems that tell you that you don't even need Jesus to die. For you to be saved. You could be saved without the blood of Jesus. Heresy. So thank God for the truth. Thank God for these apostles. If I believe what they preached, I'll be saved. Okay? All right. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Verse 14. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? See, there are some people who, some preachers who are sent, and there are some preachers who just went. <laughs> So you better be careful that the church you go to, including this one, that the man that's standing behind that pulpit, pulpit is sent by God because if he's not, he'll mislead you and the blind will lead the blind straight into hell. See, he might not be sent. He might have just went. Looked like a good occupation. Looked like a good way to support his family, you know. And so he went. Had to be sent. All right. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. He's, he's telling these Jewish people, these Israelites, he said, you need the apostles. You need the preachers to tell you, uh, to preach about Jesus, to tell you how to believe on him. Amen. Tell you how to be saved. How beautiful are the feet. Come on. Amen. Beautiful, the word means, beautiful means to blossom in maturity. It's, it's a beautiful blossoming, a, a mature thing. Those, uh, those, the preachers go out and they preach. How beautiful are the feet? I'll tell you where the preacher's located in the body of Christ. He's located in the feet. That's where the preacher is. He's the feet. How beautiful are the feet? The blossoming maturity. Watch this. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. 
But they, now here's the problem. Okay, let me finish. I got five minutes. That's what I'm going to take. I really don't have that. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. It's here. Everything you need to be saved is provided for you if you'll respond to this mercy and this good news and this glad tidings you'll respond to that and believe the gospel that's preached by a man of God it's all it's all there everything you need there's no reason why anybody in this church this morning should die and go to hell if you want to be saved, you can be saved. You are not predestined for hell. You're not, brother. I'm not. You are not predestined. God says it's here right now for you to take advantage of it. It's, he's here right now. And if you'll believe this message, the moment you confess, the moment you repent, the moment you're baptized in Jesus' name, He's there to remove the sin. The moment you ask for the Holy Ghost, He's there to fill you. You just believe. You don't have to go up and get him. You don't have to bring him up. He's right there. The moment you believe this message. You don't have to wait for a, a, a future coming of the Lord. You can be saved right now. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. I know what he's done. I know what he's done. And he's showing you in Romans 9 his sovereignty and his power over their past failures. He's showing you in chapter 10 his sovereignty and his power over their present failure. In Romans chapter 11 he's going to show you his power over their future. And I'm thankful today that God has that kind of power that even when I fail he has power over that failure. I don't know what you've done but I know what he's done. And if you can just believe what I'm preaching to you today, you can be saved. Paul's saying it's here. It's here right now. You believe it. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? The problem, the reason why Israel is in the situation they're in is because they have not believed the gospel. Not because God predestined them to be lost. The problem is they haven't believed the gospel. With me? Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Listen to me. Listen to this word. This is beautiful stuff. Verse 17. So faith cometh by hearing. And hearing twice. Hearing and hearing. By the rhema of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the rhema of God. Every time you hear it preached, your faith is increasing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing repeated preaching. I'm going to keep preaching the same thing. Keep preaching. Keep preaching that word. And your faith is going to grow. It's going to increase. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So if I'm, if I'm going to believe, then I have to hear. And it's my responsibility to speak the word, to preach the word to you, but it's your responsibility to hear it, to believe it. 
to respond to it, to wait on it if necessary, to apply it to your life. Because Paul stood up here and he preached and he knew that knowledge was not enough. You can be full of knowledge, but that's not enough. If it is not responded to, if it's not acted upon, if it is not received, okay, that is the problem. Say, hearing the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes! Israel, their problem is not that they haven't heard the word preached. <laughs> they heard the truth. They have heard the word. They've heard the rhema. Come on. They've heard the truth about Jesus. He's the Messiah. Come on. You don't believe me? You read up and you read it. Get yourself a Jewish commentary and see. They know what is said about Jesus. They are not ignorant as a nation about a man by the name of Jesus that he claimed to be the Messiah. Come on. Do you hear me? I'm telling you the truth. They reject him outright. They blaspheme his name in some commentaries, Jewish commentaries. But they know. They've heard. You with me? So it is not an intellectual problem. It's not, Paul said, it's not a lack of knowledge. It's not that we haven't preached it. The problem is, verily, their sound, say sound. These preachers sounded sound. The word sound means a musical note. A musical note, their sound. It's again connected with the word rhema. For that nation, it's for them. Not just for you, but for other nations also. But it's, it's a word for you. Yes, really, their sound, that musical note, went into all the earth and their words, that is rhema. I looked it up. Rhema unto the ends of the world. This message, Paul says, you know the message. It went to the ends of the then known world. It went to the ends of Rome. This message was not hid from you. This was not done in a quarter. This was not done in secret. It has gone out. It has sounded all over the world. This message has gone forth. It is not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. Come on, somebody. He says it went on. Oh, some people say, well, we've got, the Bible says that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness before Jesus comes. And they say, we got to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Then Jesus will come. Romans right here says, it already has happened in the past. In history, this message, this gospel has been preached to the then known world. There was no place that they didn't preach it. Did you hear what I said? In their generation, they had so much evangelistic zeal and power that the then known world heard the gospel. Watch this. 
So again, it's not an intellectual problem. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. Paul is saying this. It was even prophesied. Your failure was prophesied. The prophets prophesied. It didn't catch God by surprise. Your failure, your failure to believe, your refusal to respond to this gospel, it was prophesied by the prophets. This didn't catch God by surprise. So what God is going to do is He's going to take, He's going to turn it around for the good. It's not God's failure. It's not the gospel. The gospel's not a failure. God's word's not a failure. Come on. Amen, amen, amen. It was the people who heard it's failure. And God says, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that failure and I'm going to turn it around for the good. And I'm going to bring the Gentiles into the kingdom. And when I bring the Gentiles in the kingdom, then they're going to make you jealous because they're going to see the Jews are going to see how good the, the Gentiles have it in God's kingdom. And it's going to make them jealous. I've got a question for you. Am I jealous of the unbelieving Jewish people's knowledge? Or are they jealous of our position? See, I hear this all the time. People promoting Jewish roots, and I believe in that, uh, but not in the sense that they believe it. See, they want, they want to bring the church into Judaism. <laughs> Are you funny? God says in His Word, He's going to use the Gentiles that He's brought into His church to bring Israel into it. And, and you're telling me that I'm supposed to run to a Jewish synagogue? The Jewish synagogue, I'm supposed to be living in such a covenant with God and so much power of the Holy Ghost. So blessed of God that the Jewish, that synagogue sees my relationship with God says, I want to go to your church. Can I hear you preach this message? I'm supposed to provoke them to jealousy, not them to, you know, provoking me to jealousy. But that's what I hear promoted today. Are you with me today? Yeah. They've got a lot to offer. But the Gentiles that have come into the elect of God, into the kingdom of God, are, supposed to, are being used by God to make them jealous. Did you hear? Make them jealous. The, the nation of Israel should be jealous of you. I shouldn't sit back and say, oh, I sure wish I could come become a Jew. I'm not, now, I'm not anti-Semitic. Don't walk out here. Say, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just telling you out of the Bible. You are supposed to be walking and coming with God in such a way that the Jewish people, if they, they do see you, they get jealous. Now, watch. Oh, God, help me. We had a Jewish speaker come and preach to us on prophecy. And the power of God fell in this place that last service. And all he could do was stand there and smile. <laughs> Are you with me? I mean, it went beyond the letter. It went into the spirit. You know what I'm saying? He, he was just standing there. He just smiled, man. See, we're not just, you know, preaching the letter. We, we're living it. 
We don't have to go up and get Jesus to bring him down. We he's here, man. You, you know what I'm saying? And I'm telling you that, that God has opened that door. And I'm getting to talk to him. I'm, 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 we're discussing the oneness of God. And, and we're getting into some great things. See, God has opened that door. He's helped us. And we're helping him. Do you understand? Do you believe that today? He, he experienced the Bible when he was here. And he told me, he said, I sure wish there was a church just like this one where I live. See, doesn't that excite you? I'm talking about a, an ethnic Jewish man who is teaching the Bible. He said, I wish I had a church just like this where I live. Because he knows the presence of God is here. You see? And, and the Holy Ghost moving on me. He, he told me. Holy Ghost moved on me. He said, this is before he came and taught. And I'm going to let you go. It's not quite 1230. I got to let you out of here by 1230. But before he came and taught, the Lord said, you send him $1,000 to his writing so he can publish Messiah history in the coming tribulation period. You send him a $1,000 offering. We sent him a $1,000 offering. Came in here and God moved. It was a blessing. The other day, God told me you send him another offering. I said, all right. I went to the Lord in prayer. I said, okay, Lord. I said, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. But I want you to have him call me. Because there must be a relationship. I must know that there's a relationship. I said, God, if you'll have him call me, I know it's your will that I do this, but he needs to contact me. The next day. It was, it was weeks. I hadn't heard from him in weeks. The next day he called me. And we discussed some other things that was going on, but, but I told him, I said, I know why you called. God had you call me because I'm going to send you another offering to, to, to finish that Messiah history in the coming tribulation period. And I sent it to him. See, but see God is in charge of this. There, he is going to use the heathen just like you and me. <laughs> Go to use the heathen, man. Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. Hallelujah. You know what? You know what? You know what Tim told me? We got out, we started talking about Matthew 28, 19, and 20, you know, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. You know. I said, Yeah, a lot of people try to use that to preach a Trinity, three separate persons in the Godhead. You know what he told me? He said, My my understanding of that passage is this that I he said, I would baptize people in the name of Yeshua or Jesus. He saw people get baptized in Jesus' name. He saw children get baptized in Jesus' name. He saw adults get baptized in Jesus' name. And he said, if I were using that verse, he said, I'd baptize people in the name of Jesus. Come on, church. And I, I, we're not bragging. We're not boasting. We're just thankful. We are just thankful. Now, a, a Messianic Jewish congregation may have something to offer if they're walking as the apostle walked as a born-again apostle, you know. Uh, they probably do have a lot to offer us. Do you understand? But I'm talking about <laughs> Jewish nation as a whole and synagogues as a whole. 
that don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Man, we should be, what do you have? What do you have? Mm, tell me about it. See, Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, but he's, he's given his heart, God's heart. This is God's heart for Israel. You awake? Starving to death too, huh? <laughs> sisters, sisters honest, yeah. But look, only a few more verses to go, hallelujah. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. Prophesied the wisdom of God. Paul is going to stand back. He's going to see how God's power was over their past failure, how God's power was over their present failure, and how God's power gives them a future. And when he gets through, he's going to declare all the wisdom of God. But Isaiah was very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. He's talking about the Gentiles here. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Hallelujah. That's where I got my chance. But to Israel, Israel, he saith. Did you see this? He said he's found by Gentiles, you with me? Yeah. Uh, people that are no people, a foolish nation. He said, these are Gentile believers. But notice, he still makes a distinction between Israel and Gentile believers. But to Israel, he saith, and this of course is national Israel as a whole. Here we go. Here's the reason for their present failure. He says, all day long. I didn't predestinate them to be lost and to be a failure. It was prophesied they would fail. He said, but all day long, here's what I've been doing. I've been stretching forth my hand. All day long. Extending my mercy. Extending my grace. Extending my forgiveness. Extending my love. All day long. He said this, but the hands that he stretched forth was unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. The problem is Israel, they were disobedient and they were gainsaying. They spoke against that word. They willfully rejected it. That is why Israel is in the present condition they're in. It has nothing to do with predestination. It has to do with their failure. God said, offered it to them. They said, no. And it wasn't that they didn't have a knowledge. It's that they rejected it. Do you see? Mm, heavy. Again, saying people, a people who contradict the word, always contradicting the rhema. Always speaking against the rhema that's spoken. Always in unbelief. Always doubting. Always rejecting. God offering. That's the problem with Israel. And I ask you today, could that be our problem? When God comes, we know we're born again, you know. 
But what about other things? What about other direction that God has for us? He speaks to us, leads us and guides us, gives us a rhema individually, a rhema as a group. Do we not believe? Do we reject it? Do we contradict it? Do we speak against the word that's spoken? Are we gainsayers? We can, the, here's my point. Is Paul in Romans 11, we'll see it next week. Paul says this, if we believers, Gentile believers, if we become unbelievers, we will be cut off. See, if it happened to Israel, his elect people, Paul says it can also happen to the church. If you abide in unbelief, he said he'll cut you off. So I, I, I must be in a place when the rhema goes forth, the word of God is preached, and then a rhema goes forth. God's extending his hands of mercy to me. I must say yes to him. And if I respond to that grace, I will be his elect. If I never respond to it, it doesn't matter how much word I've heard. It doesn't matter how much knowledge I have. If I reject it, contradict it, and say no to it, then I'll end up in the same situation that Israel is in today. But thanks be to God, it's only partial. And it's only temporary. Because God's power, His sovereignty, will be over the past, present, and also the future of Israel. Lord, I thank you today for your goodness, mercy, and grace. Thank you for your word today. I thank you, God, that you've already come. You've already died. Been risen from the dead. Every day, Father, you extend to Israel mercy and grace and forgiveness. Offering yourself to them, Lord Jesus. I pray for the nation of Israel right now, Lord God, that you will lift the blindness that's off of their eyes and the Gentiles that you've raised up, this Gentile believing company, this remnant of Gentiles who believe the gospel, that they will fulfill, that we will fulfill our role, that Israel would be jealous. They would desire you, Father. They would desire you, Lord Jesus. That they would come to the knowledge of the truth and they would be saved. I thank you, Lord, for that remnant out of Israel. The true Israel of God. That right now, this very hour, you are preparing. I thank you, Lord, today for the work that you have begun. You are able to complete it. I thank you for your power and sovereignty over their past and present failure. Power for their future. I thank you, God, for your sovereignty and power over my past failure, my present failure. That gives me a hope of a future. I respond to you, Father, your mercy and your grace and your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed, and uh, we're going to go eat and we'll just.